Welcome to the Newson Health Menopause Podcast. I'm Dr. Louise Newson, a GP and menopause specialist, and I'm also the founder of the Menopause Charity. In addition, I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Clinic here in Stratford-upon-Avon. So today I'm very excited to introduce to you someone I met a few years ago now actually called Lavinia Winch, who I actually first phoned up just before I started my clinic because I was trying to reach out to other people to help me on my journey to assist as many menopausal women as possible. And Lavinia answered the phone and it was a start of quite a long relationship really. So hi Lavinia, thanks for coming onto the podcast today. Well, thank you very much, Louise. It's lovely to see you. And as you say, yes, it was a while ago, but it's been a really interesting journey. Mm. So before we talk about sort of you and your journey, just explain a bit about how we first met, really, because it's quite interesting, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, so I was working at the Yes Yes Company, which is a company that manufactures a range of intimate products for vaginal dryness specifically and for painful sex. And my role was medical liaison which meant that I was engaging with healthcare professionals across this whole area of menopause and and gynecological health generally, going to a lot of medical conferences, including all the menopause conferences, cancer conferences, conferences on valval dermatology, women's health generally. And so it was a really fantastic opportunity to learn more myself, but also to be able to make sure that as a company, we were able to signpost people who came to us to the right place to get the help that they needed. And I remember you contacting us and thinking, right, how are we going to make this work? And you were on your journey, really, in terms of being able to provide a wider service for people because the support for menopausal women out there within the NHS was really quite poor. And it still is, sadly. I don't think it's improved at all over the four years since I last spoke to you, or since I first spoke to you, I should say. And I really wanted just some samples to give to women in my clinic because, as a lot of people know, vaginal dryness is very common, can affect up to 80% of women without treatment. And there are some great products which we'll talk about on the podcast, but there are also some products that aren't so great. So I just wanted a selection of some samples to give to women because it can be quite embarrassing going to a local supermarket or pharmacist to ask for something. So I had them when I was setting up my clinic. And at the time, my clinic was just going to be one day a week to help a few local friends. It really wasn't going to escalate to what it has. And I only set it up privately because I couldn't get a job in the NHS. So it's so sad, actually, the stories that we hear. But why did you start? Just talk us through, you know, your experience with Lavinia. So you haven't always done this job, have you? Or you, I know you're not doing it anymore, but you, what, what sort of led you to your journey, really? Well, it was a chance meeting of Susie and Sarah, the co-founders of the company, when I was about 57. I met them and they were running the business locally. And my husband met them, first of all, and was helping them with their moving into the retail side of the business. And he said to me, oh, my gosh, you've got to meet these two women because, you know, we've been having all sorts of issues. So right the way from when we had our first child. And he said, I think you really should meet them. And I met them and I was between jobs. I was looking for something that would give me a reason to be out meeting people 
postmenopausally, so 57, getting towards retirement, but actually wanting to still be out there doing something interesting and proactive. And I thought there might be a role for me within the company in business development. And so I sort of gave them my CV and they said, well, that sounds great. But they didn't know at that time that I'd had 30 years of problems with vaginal irritation, really, and vulval irritation. So what happened was it was like the meeting of, oh, my gosh, this is just such an incredible situation to find myself in working for a company with a product that actually ended up helping me tremendously. And I went from business development into realizing that there was a very big market out there for people with medical issues, because originally the company was formed to be an organic pleasure product. But people started writing to us and saying, you know, with menopausal vaginal dryness is a huge problem, people that have had breast cancer. And that's when we started going to the medical conferences. And that's when my role as medical liaison became something really fascinating because I was able to sit in on all the lectures at the conferences and learn so much about women's health. So 30 years, did I hear you right? Three decades. So just honestly, why did you have symptoms for so long? What happened? Well, because I didn't make the connection between. So what happened was when I had my first baby, and I don't think many people realize that vaginal dryness is an issue at different stages of our lives, you know, so you can be just during our cycle in terms of when we're menstruating, but actually postnatally when you're breastfeeding and your estrogen levels are very low, you're not ovulating. And so vaginal dryness is quite a key thing. And that's what happened to us. But I didn't know why. So I sent my husband out to buy some KY, which was all there was in those days. And constantly I would get vulval irritation and soreness and itchiness, which I presumed was thrush. And most of my doctors thought it was thrush. So I was being given canister after canister after canister. And I just didn't click. I didn't make the connection. I presumed that if there was a product out there that was meant to be a lubricant for making love, then it would presumably be suitable for use in the vagina and on the vulva. I eventually went to a vulval dermatologist and had a biopsy in case it was lichen sclerosis. And They said there was no vulval cancer, no lichen sclerosis, probably just vulval eczema, they said. And so they gave me a steroid cream and I would use the steroid cream for a little while. Things would calm down and then we wouldn't make love. And then we would start again with the KY. Or there was another product actually called Sensilube, which is a Durex product, which I presumed was for sensitive skin. But actually, it was also very irritating. It literally took that. I mean, I don't quite know how we had two more children and somehow got through an incredibly sympathetic and understanding mm-hmm. husband. But I think it's very common for a vulval irritation that might be caused mm-hmm. by contact dermatitis or sanitary products or the wrong knickers or perfume shower gels or whatever to be diagnosed or self-diagnosed as thrush absolutely yeah I mean a lot of women we speak to have been trying different over-the-counter preparations for thrush treatments because there's a lot of talk isn't there about thrush quite rightly about symptoms such as irritation sometimes discharge and a lot of women think that 
they have thrush and obviously some of those women will but a lot of those women won't and you know I wish I could say that your story was unique but sadly there's countless women who have these symptoms and often as you say they're related to the low estrogen levels that occur and I've already spoken on other podcasts about the need for estrogen replacement either as HRT or localized estrogen and all women really can have localized estrogen so that's different to HRT but a lot of women need a lubricant for when they have sexual intercourse but also a a regular moisturizer as well like we moisturize our skin don't we as women and certainly the vulval and vaginal area often need a good quality moisturizer but there's a real problem because a lot of medics aren't taught that and also there's a huge number of products and that's increased actually over the last few years a lot of them are scented aren't they a lot of them have got beautiful packaging they've got a lot of money behind them so they look beautiful but actually they can cause more irritation can't they yeah and I think one of the important things to know is that glycerin can be a mucosal tissue irritant and also it's a sugary thing so there's a possibility I don't think there's a huge amount of proof but there's a possibility that thrush is going to thrive on anything sugary and this wasn't really known about until 2014 when Nick Panay and David Edwards wrote a review article and looked at the analysis of all the products that are available out there both vaginal moisturizers and lubricants to see what their composition was and realised that the most important thing was that they are pH balanced to the vagina and also that they match the osmolality of the vagina. And that's a more scientific and a little bit more complicated message to get across. But the main thing is that glycerin and glycols are really the things that can make these products more irritating. Yeah, and I think a lot of people see KY jelly, which we often use in the examination rooms and think, well, if they can be examined or or when people have smears, it's something that's often used. But actually, it doesn't last very long. It can be quite drying. And like you say, it can be very irritant as well. So it's really important. And I know we talked about sex, but it's not just sexual intercourse that people have discomfort, is it? You've said, you know, about wearing underclothes and a lot of women, in fact, I put a survey on my Instagram a few months ago about how many people had avoided a smear because of discomfort due to vaginal dryness. And it was about 30% of women. It's horrendous. It's really high. And I'm sure that's something that you've heard, is it, from your experience? Absolutely. And I think that we certainly recommend, and I think people are recommending generally that maybe a couple of weeks of a topical vaginal estrogen before you have a smear or a good vaginal moisturiser can help with that and make it much more comfortable. Absolutely. Because I speak to a lot of women when I ask them when they last had their smear and they often squirm a bit and say, well, I haven't had one because the one I had before was so uncomfortable. And then I said, well, did anyone talk to you about why it might be uncomfortable? Oh, no, not at all. They said it can often be when you're going through the menopause or your perimenopausal and obviously yes it can be very common but actually there's some really easy treatments and like you say either using vaginal estrogen or usually with a combination actually of a good quality moisturizer can make a huge difference to women not just to having smears but we know smear uptake can be very low and obviously it's important that women go for their smears so it's a very easy way of encouraging more people to get smears isn't it Mm, absolutely 
So then you realise that it wasn't thrush that was causing your symptoms after a horrendously long time. And then did you manage to get any hormones at all to help your symptoms? Well, yeah, that's quite an interesting story because I hadn't thought about menopause at all. My mum, all I remember about my mum was that we were in America and we were travelling around about the time that she was 50. And she kept popping into shops to get, she was obviously hot, but she didn't talk about it. So I honestly knew nothing about the menopause. But round about the age of 50, I started to get some of those symptoms of urgency and frequency, beginning to feel like you might be getting a urinary tract infection. I certainly had had a couple of very nasty bouts of cystitis, you know, through my sort of earlier years. And I went to the doctor and I was eventually referred to a urologist for a cystoscopy. And told that there was nothing wrong. Now, I cannot understand why that urologist, knowing my age, didn't click that there was a relationship between those symptoms and the lack of estrogen. I was really cross. I actually wrote to him afterwards when I finally got myself referred to a urogynecologist who said, this is classic. And again, we are talking, I mean, I was 50, I'm now 68. So we're talking, you know, a long time ago, there wasn't much going on out there. There was very little information. And even now, there's still very little information for women to understand that those symptoms are one of the symptoms of menopause. Absolutely. And I think when you think about urinary symptoms, like you're saying, the urgency frequency, for a lot of women, the menopause is about hot flushes. So why on earth would they put it together? And it's the same for urologists as well. And as you know, my husband's a urologist. And it's very interesting talking to him and some of his colleagues, because there's a real sort of split camp almost half of them, thankfully, like him, will say, of course, we'll give vaginal estrogen. And of course, we'll ask about the menopause and so forth. But the other half will go, no, we've got to do investigations, we've got to do all this. And actually having an instrumental investigation like a cystoscopy, it's very unpleasant, especially if you have had vaginal dryness, the tissues will be thinner, they'll be more susceptible to trauma, and also more likely to have a urinary tract infection. We know around 30% of sepsis is due to urosepsis. So this is sepsis due to a urinary tract infection. And it's far more common in women. And you know, the incidence of urinary tract infections reduces a lot in women who have vaginal estrogen. So it's vitally important that urologists are thinking about women's vaginas as well as their urinary tract. But we have estrogen receptors in our urinary tracts and pelvic floor don't we so it makes sense that they're affected yeah so I think urogynecologist so a gynecologist who has a subspeciality in urology is what who I saw and he did recommend that I went on HRT and I'd never had a hot flush I still never had a hot flush oh my god how lucky is that but I did begin to feel a little bit more anxious perhaps a little bit of depression so I Looking back on it now, I can see what was going on. So I was recommended to go on HRT. And being a sort of person that was interested in natural, I started Googling natural HRT. And I found a lady called Dame Dr. Shirley Bond in Harley Street. I think she was one of the first people to realize that there was a natural progesterone. I think she probably was recommending a cream. But she suggested hormonin, which was an estrogen only pill. I don't think it was estradiol. I'm not quite sure which estrogen it was. And eutrogestin which was the natural progesterone, the myconized progesterone. But in those days, it wasn't licensed in the UK. So I had a brother in France, and he used to send it over to me from France. I think I used to send the prescription. 
And that seemed to be, certainly my symptoms were better. But then I heard about bioidentical HRT. Oh my goodness, this sounded even more tailored, especially to me. So I went to a clinic in London and was told that I had to have some blood tests to see what my hormone levels were like. And this is a case of if I'd known then what I know now about the fact that our hormones go up and down all the time. So you can't tell at any one time exactly what your hormone levels are. And I was prescribed these compounded lozenges for estrogen, progestin, I think, and testosterone. And I was okay. I probably it was helping a little bit. But I think it was in about 2011 that as my job for yes, I went to a British Society of Sexual Medicine conference and Nick Panay was giving a talk and it was about body identical HRT. And that's when I clicked for the first time that actually you can get something that is body identical, properly regulated on the NHS, rather than going through something which is unregulated, very expensive because of the tests that you have to have. And I actually didn't feel I was being particularly well looked after in that way. So what did I do? I got myself referred to see Nick. at Chelsea and Westminster, and there was something called book and choose or choose and book. So through the NHS, you could choose to go to a specialist menopause clinic. And that clinic at the Chelsea and Westminster is, you know, is probably the one of the very few NHS clinics around. And I just was incredibly lucky to be able to get to London and go and see Nick. Mm. And it's, it's a big problem. And we've spoken about it before, and there's an article about body identical HRT on my menopause doctor website, because you're quite right. A lot of people think HRT is so dangerous, which is wrong, as we know. And so we'll go to these compounded bioidentical hormone clinics in which there's an alarmingly increasing number across the country. So not just in London and in different yeah. countries as well. And these products are neither regulated nor licensed and they're marketed very well. And a lot of women think they want to know what their hormones are doing. They want a blood test or sometimes they do a saliva test, but actually they're not always accurate. And like you say, certainly for a lot of women before they start HRT, you don't know what their hormone levels were 20 years ago when they were feeling well. So how can you match them? It doesn't make sense. And certainly when people are perimenopausal, every day their hormone levels are going to be different and they'll differ during the day because our hormones fluctuate so much. We see a lot of women who have spent hundreds, if not thousands of pounds on these clinics. And I did write an article with Professor Janice Reimer, who's the vice president of the Royal College of Obzangaini, about the dangers of compounded bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, because it's a global problem, actually. And there's a lot of people making a huge amounts of money from vulnerable women who are desperate to feel better. And of course, some of these women will feel better because a lot of these products contain estrogen. So they will feel better, but there are risks. And one of the risks is that if you don't have enough progesterone, there's a risk that it won't protect the lining of the womb properly. Okay, that is really interesting. And I mean, I think I was lucky in that I found Nick Panay and was then put on the transdermal, so an Easter patch, the Utrogestin, and then I was prescribed Vagifem and I would use the esters of vaginal moisturiser or a lubricant as well. And that combination worked really well. Interestingly, I had some pain, some pelvic pain, and it was found that I had a cyst on one ovary. 
and I had that removed. And as a result of that, I had an internal scan and the lining of my womb at that time was fine. It was, I think it was four mil, something like that, which is sort of fine. But two and a half years later, having been on what is the absolutely the right prescription, the right dosage is everything. I did have some hyperplasia, some thickening of the lining of the womb, and I was diagnosed with endometrial cancer. Mm. And there's a sort of temptation to blame it on the HRT. But actually, there's no reason that that should be the case. And I didn't go down that. I just said, you know, I'm, I'm one of the outliers. I'm just one of the unlucky people. The incredible thing was, again, because of my role, because of going to cancer conferences, because of listening to all these doctors talking about the importance of progesterone if you are on estrogen. And I knew that the first sign of any bleeding, postmenopausal bleeding, you absolutely must go to your GP straight away. And so I did that. So I was diagnosed with endometrial cancer, but caught it incredibly early. So I was very, very lucky. And endometrial cancer is thankfully one of the cancers, if it's picked up early enough, as you know, it's a treatable disease. And certainly any woman, like you quite rightly say, who has bleeding, certainly if it's persistent bleeding, really needs to get checked. And a lot of women who start HRT do experience some bleeding. And we always say you're sort of allowed to have bleeding, if you like, for the first three to six months, certainly when you change or start HRT, because there can be this unsettling process, if you like, to the lining of the womb. But if it persists, then we often arrange for people to have a scan because there are other reasons and not always cancer, of course. Um, some people have a polyp or fibroid or something else. And so it's very important that women don't ignore any bleeding, whether they're on HRT or not. And a lot of women actually avoid going because they're embarrassed and no woman should be embarrassed if they have any gynecological problem. And certainly as a doctor, I'm not embarrassed examining or anyone or talking about anything. So it's great that it was obviously picked up early. So that obviously has made a big difference, hasn't it? Yeah. So the consultant said to me, you know, it's a cancer that we can treat very easily, especially if you've caught it really early. And I mean, by that time I was 62. So I was a long way post. So it was very obvious that just even a little bit of spotting, it's just worth going. It's probably nothing, but it's always worth checking. So I had a radical hysterectomy, the ovaries, the fallopian tubes, the womb and the cervix. And I didn't ha it hadn't spread into any lymph nodes. So I didn't need to have any radiotherapy or any chemotherapy. And I've been really well ever since. You know, so very, very lucky. And I'm still on estrogen, but I don't need to take the progesterone anymore because I don't have a womb. Which is great and actually I'm sure you know there was a recent follow-up study from the Women's Health Initiative study which came out in 2002 but the follow-up study obviously followed people up for 18 years and it showed that women who've had a hysterectomy taking estrogen only HRT have around 25% lower risk of breast cancer. So that's quite something, isn't it? When lots of medics and a huge number of women think that oestrogen causes breast cancer. That's so interesting, Louise, because I went to my doctor. We've got a female and a male doctor in the practice and the female doctor was away. And so I went to the male doctor as a sort of, I think probably I had to get my prescription renewed. And he said, why are you still on oestrogen? <laughs> and I said, because I feel really well on it, it can help as well as the topical estrogen. It helps with the vaginal dryness and it helps. I'm sure it helps prevent some of the bacterial infections or the UTIs and things like that, as well as the topical. And I said, and I'm also aware that 
my risks of breast cancer are lower. And he said, I don't think that's right. And I said, well, actually, mm -hmm. would you like to see the nice guidelines? <laughs> and I think, you know, he was mm. really quite surprised. But I did come away from that a little bit worried for a moment that I'd got it wrong. But I read the information and I read the research and I know that is the case. And it's really important that it, this is known. I mean, I feel it should be on the front page of the newspaper, but good news doesn't sell newspapers, does it? But a while ago, I did a study of primary care, so doctors and nurses in general practice. And also the same survey went out to members of the Primary Care Women's Health Forum, which are healthcare professionals with a special interest in women's health. And the majority of these people thought that oestrogen was the bad bit of HRT and oestrogen caused breast cancer. And, you know, it's really sad that there's so much misinformation and it makes healthcare professionals very scared of prescribing HRT. And it understandably makes women feel very scared, but also quite resistant to taking HRT. And we know the minority of women take HRT, whereas for the majority of women, the benefits outweigh the risks. Yeah, and I think it's a quality of life choice. I mean, I don't intend to stop, quite frankly. A, I know it's protecting my bones. B, I believe there's still good research to talk about heart health. Yeah, absolutely. And I would also say quite strongly that the role that I've had at Yes has been incredible, but it's been at times challenging and I've continued to develop. And I, I'm sure that my sort of clarity of thought and my ability to, I mean, not my memory is a bit dodgy at times, but to have the confidence to do some of the things that I've done, including standing up and talking to, you know, 100 healthcare professionals in a room about my patient journey, or even just talking to you here today. I'm really not sure that without that little bit of extra estrogen and I'm on 50 micrograms twice a week so it's not mega um, doses is it and yeah I mean we know that estrogen helps the sugar metabolism in the brain you know there's some good pictures actually of women before and after menopause and how the activity in the brain just reduces so much and we know obviously if you can use your brain properly it really helps it we always read don't we about if you do sudoku or crosswords or read books it will help your brain but I know myself when I had menopausal symptoms, I just wanted to stare at the four walls. I couldn't concentrate on anything. So it enables you. And whether it's a direct cause of the oestrogen or whether the oestrogen's enabling you to then function and do crosswords and read or whatever. And actually, a lot of it doesn't matter. We know it's good. And there is some evidence that it reduces risk of dementia if we people have oestrogen replacement. So it is important. And it's what you're saying is so true that it's about having a choice, isn't it? But having an informed choice. That is, is so important. Mm. If you can learn about your own body, how you react to things, and if you can read some of the research, I mean, the guidelines, the menopausal nice guidelines are there for everybody. And I think this is a really important thing to be able to work with your doctor collaboratively so that you know what the risks are and you know yourself and then you work together to have the best solutions for you. You know, I'm, I'm really keen to make sure that women have that knowledge so that they can go to their doctor with a certain amount. You, you don't want to antagonise them, but you really you need to work together to make it the best solutions for yourself. Absolutely. And, you know, the most I have learned over my medical career is from patients, actually. You learn from them. And yes, there are some patients that come with a daily mail printout saying, I want this new experimental <laughs> drug that's been tried on three people and it's you know, got to the front page. And obviously, then even those people, I will still go and find the original article and work out what the research is. 
but it's essential that medical practitioners are kept up to date. And I know a lot of the conferences you've been to, I've been to as well, but it's almost preaching to the converted. A lot of these are women's health conferences, they're gynecologists, they're GPs with an interest and nurses with an interest in the menopause. They know the importance of good menopause care. But sadly, there's a lot of doctors who are cardiologists, who are migraine specialists, who are urologists, we've already said, who are rheumatologists. And these women are misdiagnosed. And so we see a lot of women who have been misdiagnosed with fibromyalgia. Rheumatologists have never thought about their hormones or migraine clinics. They've been back and forth, had time off work. Of course, migraines worsen during the perimenopause and menopause. So it's a huge education problem. Obviously, women, we need to know the education. We need to know what's happening to our bodies, and that's really important. But also, we need to have confidence in the healthcare professional we're seeing. And, you know, it saddens me actually, Lavinia, because your story started 30 years ago. But I don't think things have improved that much over 30 years. And that's a whole generation of women um, that are missing out on evidence-based treatment. So, Interestingly, since lockdown, there has been a huge growth in information platforms on social media. And I can't speak for all of them, but I know that people like Jane Lewis, who wrote the book My Menopausal Vagina, has been talking to a lot of experts. And the response from people following is fantastic. So there is a knowledge base out there that means that when the NHS is a little bit back up and running, I think people will... I think they'll have a better experience because I think there's a lot more education going on. And obviously, you don't want somebody on social media diagnosing or treating, but just signposting and gaining knowledge is so important. Totally. And certainly a lot of my work is about just trying to give evidence-based information. And people like Jane Lewis, Diane Dunsbrook, Sam Evans, there's some fantastic healthcare professionals and non-healthcare professionals, actually. And that's one of the reasons we've set up the charity, the Menopause Charity, to really be a voice for women and a safe place where people can experience and have first-hand knowledge, really, that is evidence-based, because that's so important. We need to be able to um, feel confident with information that we're given as women. Yeah, I think the other thing we hadn't mentioned about misdiagnosis around menopause is the depression and anxiety. And we know, don't we, that so many people are being prescribed antidepressants instead of being diagnosed as being menopausal and being offered HRT. Yeah, and certainly studies we've done have shown the majority of women are offered or given antidepressants. So we've got a huge amount of work ahead of us and I hope the next 30 years will be more positive. So, but thank you ever so much for joining because it's a big thing sharing your story, but I know it will help so many women and there's a lot going on in your story actually, but I'm pleased it's got a happy (laughs) ending. So before we finish, Lavinia, can I just ask you for three tips really and I'd be quite interested really to hear three things that you wish you'd known 30 years before you'd started to receive help and treatment? Okay, I think first of all is an understanding of what the symptoms to watch out for in menopause, that would be one to one, particularly the urinary, because not everybody has the whole gamut of symptoms. You know, as I said, I never had a hot flush. So I think that's understanding more about the menopause and particularly the symptoms. I think understanding more about the makeup of the vagina and the vulva, understanding how important mucosal tissue is and how different it is to other parts of our skin. So really thinking carefully about what you use in the vagina or around the vagina and on the vulva. And then I think the last thing perhaps is just 
self-knowledge, mm. self-knowledge and having the confidence to talk to your healthcare professionals and find the best mm. people to go and see if you possibly can. Mm. And if you don't have somebody, you know, if your GP is not really responding in the way you'd like, try and find a GP who has a specialism in women's health. Yeah, absolutely. So the big message is not to give up. Just keep trying until you receive the right help. Oh, really yeah, important. absolutely. Don't ever give up. You will find an answer because all these gynecological and menopausal symptoms and things, they can be treated effectively. Yeah, so brilliant. So thank you so much for today. I've really appreciated it. Thanks. Thank you it. very much. I hope it helps. I hope it helps others. I'm sure. Absolutely. Thank you. For more information about the perimenopause and menopause, you can go to my website, menopausedoctor.co.uk, or you can download our free app called Balance, available through the App Store and Google Play.